Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, My guest today is Sherry M. Bastio. I hope I pronounced the name right. Yes, perfect. Um, She's a research fellow in uh, clinical medicine over there in Ireland. And she's uh, been focused on tuberculosis, which I guess from what I've heard has been a disease that has plagued man for thousands of years, literally. So uh, she's at Trinity College in Dublin. And uh, Sherry, thanks for coming. You're very welcome, Richard. Yeah, tell me, uh, how did you first, I don't know, learn about tuberculosis, get interested in it, and then work to research on it? So my PhD and my background is actually in autoimmunity. Um, so I was looking at rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis. Um, and I became very interested in um, a kind of a, a lineage of cells there called TH17 cells that are really quite plastic. And then I started to read a bit more in the infectious disease area. And TB really kind of piqued my interest uh, because there's this kind of very um, strange interplay between TB and autoimmunity. So people who are dying of TB, like end stage consumption um, type uh, patients, uh, have this kind of phenotype whereby they they look like they're suffering from an autoimmune issue so that their immune system is actually destroying their lungs and so that's kind of how I got into TB to be honest but since I've been working in in tuberculosis it's just um, become such a a fascination to me really in terms of the microbiology because as you you said it's a very ancient bug and so really like uh, bacteria has been found in um, Egyptian mummies and you know thousands and thousands of years ago our immune system, um, the homo sapien immune system has been co-evolving with um, MTB for a very long time. And this has actually put a huge pressure on the immune system. Um, and it's actually a very interesting way to study the host um, response and how this might actually affect different uh, pathologies like autoimmunity as well. Okay, so question here. Um, I've heard a tough from a couple of people that TB is evolving along with people, but um, the only instances I've seen where that happens is if TB doesn't, let's say, kill the person, but stays in them for their lifetime and then gets passed on to future generations. Does does TB always kill somebody or does uh, do some people carry it forever and is it predatory? Again, a very complex situation here. So TB, there's, you know, very kind of simplicity speaking, there's three kind of categories of, of humankind when it comes to the view of MTB. Um, and it's... Um, the MTB can be exposed to a person and you inhale it into your lungs and you never get sick, you never have a symptom and your immune response shows no sign that's even seen the, the, the bacteria. That's one kind of person. And then the other kind of person gets exposed to MTB and um, they inhale it into their lungs and the, their lungs kind of mount this um, quite effective uh, immune response that's effective enough to kind of contain the bug and pour it and place it into a dormant state called latent TB. So that, that's, that's a, a second kind of um, response. And the majority of people who are exposed to MTB actually said, end up setting up this kind of latent TB. That's why we, we think that a huge amount of the world's population, up to a third of the world's population, actually harbour MTB in its latent state. And then a very small proportion of people um, who inhale um, MTB actually get active TB um, disease. Yeah, why is it called, what, what is MTB versus so, TB? Sorry about your pardon. So MTB is the bacteria that causes TB. Um, so it's mycobacterium tuberculosis. Mm, okay, okay. So the tuberculosis is the species name and the it's, mycobacterium is the... 
Yeah, so, okay. so TB is the classical kind of clinical pathology and MTB is the bug that causes it. Okay, and um, so some people do, they're asymptomatic, they have it their whole lives, and then is there evidence that, uh, you know, let's say they produce children that, uh, that may be asymptomatic to TB and they're just born with it? or no? So, no, so the, the bacteria itself is actually not heritable, um, but I suppose there are genetic factors um, within these three populations of, of human that would, would actually make us more or less susceptible to getting active TB. But the people who harbor latent TB, the real issue with them is that when they become immunocompromised, like for example, through aging, because um, we, we know as, as people get older, their immune response kind of becomes different and weakened, or if they become co-infected with HIV, for example, or if, they're, if they start on uh, biologic therapy for other autoimmune issues, um, like, you know, like anti-TNF or therapies that are aimed at, at, at dampening down the immune response, then that latent TB infection can re-emerge than as active TB um, disease. So that's why that, that, that pool of, of latent TB is actually quite um, a serious clinical issue. So what's, um, I don't know if TB has been around a very long time, what to, what's the treatment for it? Is there treatment? You know, what happens nowadays yeah, so if someone gets it? We have a huge arsenal of very effective antibiotics that are used to treat TB. And the thing about TB is, so you have regular bog standard TB and you get a, a very large combination of antibiotics. You've got to take them for a very protracted amount of time. And then nine times out of 10, you'll be cured. But the problem is if you're given the wrong dose or the wrong drug, or you, you take them in any way inconsistently, there's a very high chance that the bug will mutate and you'll get multiple drug resistant or extensively drug resistant TB. And that's a huge global burden and, and concern because obviously um, these uh, bacteria then are, are not um, sensitive to our frontline antibiotics. Well, so are there antibiotics that affect TB positively that get rid of it? Or I mean, yeah, what, what's so a typical treatment and how well does it work? So the, um, there, there are several frontline antibiotics um, and for a drug sensitive TB, these work quite effectively. Um, there's very severe side effects because people have to be on them for a very protracted course. So you're, you're talking once here. Um, so people can end up with kind of, you know, hearing loss or, or sight damage or, or kidney failure. So they're, they're kind of nasty drugs. The, the burden is, I suppose, that we have this emergence now of antibiotic re resistant strains. So going forward, my research and, and the idea behind my lab is that we want to look at the host, the, the human immune response to MTB and find a drug or a way of kind of boosting and supporting the human immune response so that that can be taken as an adjunct to an antibiotic. So it'll make the um, bacterial more susceptible to being killed by the antibiotic and will help the person to recover faster. So it'll, it'll change the, the antibiotic regimen, hopefully, by having this kind of idea of host-directed therapy whereby we boost the patient's own immune response rather than just targeting the bug um, using a standard antibiotic. Well, I mean, TB has been around for a very long time. What, what's been studied in people that are, I mean, like, you know, for instance, the microbiome of people that have it but don't have a hard time with it or people that have it have taken, uh, you know, drugs and not responded to it or responded to it. I mean, has anyone sure, looked? Yes, I mean, there's been billions and billions of dollars thrown into TB research. Um, and unfortunately, like it's a highly complex um, disease state. And the problem is there's so many different phenotypes within people who are sick from TB. But there really isn't a clear cut answer as to why some people get TB and what, why other people don't. And the more worrying thing, really, uh, Richard, is that we don't really understand the correlates of protection for, for TB. So this idea of having a correlate of protection like people are, are hunting down now for, for COVID-19 is that we're able to then um, target that part of the immune response that we know will protect somebody from, from getting TB and then use it as, as a vaccine. So um, really, an awful lot of the money that's gone into R&D for TB has, has failed 
so far. Um, they've been in an awful lot of vaccine trials, a lot of, a lot of drug trials, and they're and they're not working. Um, and that's for a variety of, of complex reasons. And um, but my belief is that if we if we keep our focus on hypothesis-driven human research, that we'll we'll be able to get to the bottom of how um, we want to direct a human um, immune response in the lung to to, to, TB, to TB to actually treat our patients. So um, as I mentioned there with the, the vaccine trials, obviously we have a vaccine for TB and it's called BCG. The problem with the vaccine though, unfortunately, is that it has kind of a bit of controversy around its efficacy. It's not very good at protecting adults from pulmonary um, TB, so, so the TB in your lungs. It is very good at protecting children from disseminated TB, so that means TB outside of their lungs. Um, but that window of protection is quite small, really. Um, so we definitely have um, a lot of need for a better vaccine and better drug treatment. How does TB affect the, um, you know, the microbiome, for instance, has it been studied uh, to see that people that have TB, their, you know, any idea of their background microbiome and how it changes yeah, so when they have it? Does it push out preferentially certain microbes? Or? So the, the, the microbiome, um, are you talking about a microbiome in the lung or in the gut? Um, both. Okay, so maybe the, the gut would be most accessible. So the, the idea of a microbiome in the lung is actually quite a new and emerging idea, and it's very exciting science. And actually, the microbiology team um, in Ireland are, are working really hard on trying to profile a, a very robust microbiome in, in, in lungs of, of different people throughout their age um, and, and lifespan. Um, so that, that work is really in its nascency, so I, I really don't know what's going to come out of that, but I'm sure that it's going to um, have a very large impact. The gut microbiome work is really interesting as well. Again, it's, it's not really my field of expertise. I'm not a, a microbiologist. I'm the immunologist. Um, but the, the idea that your gut microbiome has a massive impact on your immune response systemically, so not only in your gut, but also in your lungs. And that there's been evidence that shows that the, the, the gut microbiome actually um, can affect the trafficking between your, your um, gut and, and, and other areas and the lung um, in terms of your innate immune cells. So, I mean, there's definitely scope there uh, to really try to, to tease apart how, how the gut microbiome affects um, lung uh, macrophages, for example, in the context of TB, but it really hasn't emerged yet. In terms of immunity, I mean, I know traditionally about macrophages, T cells, etc. What, mm-hmm. what within our immune system appears to recognize and target TB, and then are there deficiencies? Sure. Like, what's the nuances of what you know? That's a, a very important question. So, when a person inhales uh, MTB into their lung the first cell that encounters MTB is the alveolar macrophage. So this is a macrophage that is tissue resident in the the deeper parts of of a human lung. And this cell um, eats up the bacteria, so the bacteria becomes internalized. So MTB is um, an intracellular bacteria, so it grows inside a cell. So the alveolar macrophage has a very kind of key role. So it is the sentinel of the lung and kind of um, keeps guard and and, and eats up any kind of um, invading bacteria. But also in the context of, of TB disease, then what happens is that the um, alveolar macrophage becomes like this Trojan horse and the bacteria can quieten down the immune response that the alveolar macrophage should undertake and actually kind of usurps its machinery to allow the the MTB bug to to grow inside it. And then the AM um, can then actually propagate um, the bacterial uh, infection. So the alveolar macrophage is a very key cell and we work on that um, in our lab as well. And we're trying to understand better how to boost and to support alveolar um, um, function Um, but really uh, there's a plethora of cells that are involved in TB Um, for example my particular interest is is, is also the CD4 T cell Um, so T cells um, are a part of the adaptive immune response and they're the kind of the, the classical cells we think of when we think of kind of longer term vaccine responses 
and memory, you know, that, that exquisite idea that your immune system, once it's seen a bacteria can, or, or any kind of invader like a virus, can remember the next time it's seen that and mount a faster, more efficient response. And therefore you become immune to a, um, an infectious agent. So uh, the T and B cells are responsible for, for that kind of immunity. Um, and the concept of TB then, um, T cells have a, a very prominent role to play in constraining the bacteria, but also have a role to play in actually causing pathology and, and, and damaging the lung. Um, so really it's a very complex balance um, between innate and, and uh, adaptive immunity there. Um, so we really have to look at, kind of, look, look at it kind of holistically to understand uh, both arms of the immune response. Okay, so um, when a macrophage, when an alveolar macrophage engulfs a TB bacteria, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily always kill it. Sometimes the TB, what? is able to stay in residence in the macrophage and take it over or exactly so so tb is very good and it's probably because the tb bacteria is so ancient it has become very good at laying low and hiding out so it finds ways um to tune down the uh, immune response in the alveolar macrophage to allow it to kind of be undetected if you like so rather than the alveolar macrophage mounting this lovely big pro-inflammatory robust response um when it engulfs mtb it actually kind of quietens down down a bit um, so that the MTB can actually grow and hide inside the macrophage. Um, so it's a, it's a very unique kind of um, occurrence in terms of infections. So how do, um, I don't know, how, what determines whether a macrophage is going to engulf and kill and digest in the TB, you know, versus not? Uh, how do you determine that? What conditions? That's an excellent question, and it's a huge research question, and it is um, a knowledge gap that's being um, addressed by an awful lot of labs all over the world. And the major kind of contributor to come out of this is that ontogeny, meaning where your macrophage occurs from, is really key in all this. So the alveolar macrophage has been identified as being um, rising out of the yolk sac. So it's it's really early on in development. Um, These macrophages take up residence in the lung tissue, and they are they are um, living there, and they are different in terms of their ancestry and their fate to other macrophages in your body. So other macrophages in your body come from your bone marrow and the hemopathic stem cells in your bone marrow. So um, these emerge out of the bone marrow as cells called monocytes and they traffic into tissues then that are kind of showing a signal of of needing um, some sort of immune activation. They traffic in and then they take up residence and become macrophages. So those um, macrophages that traffic into the lung are called, uh, they're in the interstitial, they're called interstitial macrophages. And they're the ones that are thought to actually amount a very effective, robust immune response against MTB, whereas the alveolar macrophage can harbor the MTB. But in our lab, we've also shown that the alveolar macrophage can, in fact, perform good function against um, the MTB bug, and it just needs to be supported. So the ideas, um, some of the ideas we're using um, to address this is um, the idea of the metabolic function of the alveolar macrophage. So the interstitial macrophage that comes from your bone marrow and kind of sets up residence in the lung and after that um, has a very robust um, ability to shift towards using uh, glycolysis rather than the normal kind of oxidative phosphorylation uh, pathway. So this shift is thought to be very important in the ability um, of the macrophage to kill um, MTB. With the alveolar macrophage, it's probably less good at doing this. Um, so we're looking at ways to kind of promote uh, the alveolar macrophage's um, metabolic response to actually promote a pro-inflammatory response in the AM so that it's able to actually mount the proper immune response and clear the bacterial effect. Has anyone studied the phages that prey upon MTB? I mean, I would think that would give you some idea of whether they carry certain resistance genes into TB or, you know, ones that are particularly good at lysing it. Sure. So there's there's very extensive work done on the mutagenesis in TB and 
what exactly is causing the drug resistance and that kind of thing. And uh, like the, the microbiology is um, extensive on it. Um, but I suppose uh, in terms of killing MTB, it's actually a very difficult bug to kill. Um, it has a very kind of uh, hardened exterior um, cell coat. Um, and it's just a very good bug at, at, at becoming very sleepy and dormant. And like even our assays in the lab, can be hard, it can be hard to identify a bug that's dead versus a bug that's sleeping. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a complex, complex infection. So what do you think will be the, I don't know, the positive interventions that will really make a difference in, in affecting TB? Do you think the big battleground is going to be the alveolar macrophages or other parts of the body? I do think so. I, I think, Richard, that the next step really in TB research for drug development is going to be host-directed therapy. So these are drugs aimed specifically at boosting a patient's immune response. And in my opinion, if we deliver these drugs straight into the lung, so aerosolized um, targeted delivery into the lung of, of, of a patient, um, we, we'll get a much better kind of um, direct uh, hit on the alveolar macrophage that lives there. So the idea would be you'd inhale a therapy that would help to boost your alveolar macrophage function. You'd also take your antibiotics and then this would actually expedite, um, expedite the whole um, clearance of, of the bacteria and support um, the patient in, in actually becoming better again. Is there any way to culture uh, the types of macrophages that would migrate their way in that are more adaptable and flexible, as you mentioned before? Absolutely. And then so maybe modeled- locally inject them or something? Yeah, we model this in, in vitro all the time. So we model it using modified derived macrophages. So just from peripheral blood of um, healthy controls. So uh, we take them out of the blood and we grow them up in vitro. So the idea of um, like cell therapy, I think, is, is, is what you're getting at there, where you, you would transfuse a patient with maybe even their own bone marrow derived uh, monocytes or macrophages. It's it's problematic. So it's been trialed. Um, the, 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 the notion has been trialed in the context of autoimmunity using um, regulatory cells. And um, it's also been trialed in cancer with some quite good success, you know, the, the kind of the kind of T cell therapy there. Um, but to be honest with you, um, the innate cell is quite short lived. Um, it, it's a it's a different kind of function. So really, um, the new and emerging kind of tack on that would be to innate train these macrophages. So the idea is um, of innate immune training is that you expose these innate cells um, to uh, an inoculous stimulus like beta glucan, which is kind of a, a fungal component that we're exposed to all the time. Um, and this actually can get into the bone marrow stem cell niche. So um, it actually changes um, the characteristics of the stem cells inside that bone marrow, and it makes the emerging monocytes actually more poised and ready to fight an infection. So the idea then is that what you're doing is you're giving um, a person this little kind of uh, innate stimulus that will actually give their bone marrow stem cells a signal to say that that the the monocytes there need to be kind of pre-activated and pre-ready, and those monocytes then will will traffic to any site of infection, and maybe it's the lung for for, for TB or or anywhere else, and they'll be kind of pre-ready to actually activate and um, uh, mount an effective immune response. So I think in terms of um, cellular therapy like that, it's going to be more the innate immune training kind of um, feature there, where we kind of try to train a person's own stem cell um, rather than adoptive cell therapy. So, I mean, nowadays with TB, I mean, what's like the, the current standard of care and what, um, what do you think we're closest to in terms of upping the standard of care for it? So really, I suppose it's, it's, about, it's, it's screening programs and, you know, good contact tracing and um, all those kind of um, very robust systems that we've had in place for a long time that just need to be kind of um, increased and upped. In terms of standard of care and how far off we are actually introducing host-directed therapies, you know, they, there's, there's a lot of stuff in the pipeline and... Um, I would be hopeful that in the next kind of 10 years that, that there might be some really good positive clinical trials um, to emerge for it. But um, 
as to an exact date and time, who knows? Well, very good. Um, in terms of the evolution of TB, what has been observed, you know, it's, again, you mentioned, several people mentioned that it's evolved along with people. So, I mean, have you been able to study or is there enough preserved of TB from 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago to see any differences and what differences there are? Yeah, so, I mean, there are ancient strains have been isolated from, you know, fossilized bones and all sorts of stuff like that. And I mean, it, it is absolutely fascinating. But it's funny because the evolution of MTB has been um, kind of slower, if you like, than um, the, the idea where I was coming from with the idea of host um, evolution, really, because um, the idea would be that the MTB has been there and it's been a pressure on the human um, to kind of change or alter their immune response. And so as I'm interested in that field because of my background in autoimmunity, which looks at um, Th17 cells. So these are a type of T cell that are um, kind of highly implicated in um, pathology in the context of multiple sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but in the context of TB as well, they're also known to be quite damaging to the lung. So they kind of, um, they send out signals that recruit in lots of neutrophils and they cause lots of kind of inflammatory responses that can damage the tissue. So what I got really interested in was the idea that the Th17 lineage was actually really quite plastic and the pressures for this kind of plasticity. And I kind of wondered, um, was the evolutionary pressure for this plasticity led by an infection? Um, so I think that's an area that um, is understudied and it'll be fascinating if, if we can actually um, uncover that. What do you believe the plasticity, you said the plasticity, plasticity was selected for, but the plasticity of what, of TB in general or of the immune system? Oh, sorry, system no, I'm talking, about the, I'm talking about the, the T cells. So here, so there's a, um, a subpopulation of T cells that are called TH17 cells. And these cells now um, in the context of, of inflammation, so in immune settings like um, rheumatoid arthritis like in the, in the inflamed joint these cells are really quite plastic so by plastic I mean they don't behave only like um, they should behave they're able to adapt and respond to cues in their environment and behave like other types of subpopulation of cells that really we, we used to think classically they shouldn't be behaving like so that that's kind of that plasticity that they're, they're able to become um, similar to another type of cell so the TH17 lineage um, is thought to protect um, a human against fungal infections and also against intracellular bacteria but in the context of an inflamed environment like you get in, in, in the, the lung and TB, there's pressure put on these cells then to actually become plastic and, and to be able to um, look and behave like a different type of cell type. And um, so I'm really interested in understanding what these cues are to make these cells kind of behave differently um, so to see if we can actually better understand uh, what the signals are there but, but between an infected alveolar macrophage and these TH17 type lineage cells to really get to the bottom of what's causing this kind of um, chicken and egg effect of the bacteria and the host kind of being embroiled in this very complex dance and neither one of them really winning out unless the patient becomes so sick and overwhelmed of their consumption that they die where the immune response is actually inappropriate versus kind of a latent immune response where it's gone sleepy versus a really effective immune response where the person has um, been, been infected and never even known it and, and, they're, and they're perfectly healthy now so I think um, that kind of interplay there between the alveolar macrophage and the um, adaptive t-cell responses that are kind of very plastic and unusual in certain contexts of tb uh, is going to be a really interesting one to understand those things when does this uh, regime change seem to happen when someone's infected like are there certain time periods or other conditions that seem to say all right now you're in this phase you're in this phase 
Yeah, so, and, and I mean, this is another, so TB is a very complex infection, and this is another layer of complexity on TB, that it is kind of um, uh, an issue whereby you have several stages, um, and I suppose uh, in my lab, we're interested in several of those stages, but kind of very simplistically, um, if we look at it kind of in two parts, the first stage um, is when a person inhales the bacteria, and the innate immune cells, like the alveolar macrophage or the interstitial macrophages that traffic into the lung, they see the bacteria, and they can either mount a really effective innate immune response, and clear the bacteria or there's this kind of lag period where they're not really coping they're not really responding well and then you've got this in the, the influx of adaptive t-cells um, and that can either cause um, the infection to become quiet and latent or it can cause an active infection so really this kind of timeline is very important so um, by boosting the immune response at the innate cell um, level, like if we can try to support the alveolar macrophage function, what we're trying to do there is promote early clearance so a person never becomes ill. Um, then, then later on, um, the interest in studying kind of the TH17 lineage and the plasticity there is more about trying to control inappropriate inflammation that actually might kill a person um, in active TB. So it's very much so um, disease course that is, has several facets to it, but simplistically we can, we can kind of um, model it in the lab as early clearance responses that are kind of innate mediated versus your later active TB end stage um, that may be um, perhaps uh, immune mediated. When people clear TB quickly, how quickly is quick and uh, I don't know, is it a matter of days or weeks? Or Well, it's actually really very hard to study those people because the issue is that um, they we assume so from high burden countries we assume people have been exposed and they they yet they show no clinical signs and they don't have any immune signature that they've been exposed so what I mean Richard is um for example if uh, somebody living in your household gets really um active TB has an awful lot of bacteria in their lungs they're, they're coughing it up you know they're highly infectious and you live in the same household as them and you never get TB, you never get any signs and symptoms, and your immune system doesn't have any imprint that, that's seen the TB, people assume then that you will be that person who has seen it and cleared it without any response. But we don't know for a fact that that person's ever actually been infected. So they're a very hard cohort to actually study. But they're, they really are um, a very interesting one. I think you've got your finger on the pulse there because it's really um, where the money is. Because if, if we can understand who those people are in terms of their genetics or, or what it is that mounts an effective immune response so effective that they clear the bug without leaving any imprint. And what I mean by that is there's no adaptive imprint. So when you um, take their blood and you do a recall in the lab to see if there's any um, specific long-term adaptive immunity to, to TB, they don't. So they, they've mounted an, an effective innate immune response that's cleared the, the, the infection theoretically um, and never become sick from it. Um, now, the other theory could be that they, they just never, even though the, they were living in very close contact with the person who was highly infectious, perhaps they never became infected. So they're a very difficult cohort study. Can you tell if someone has cleared it quickly or is that just like, it has to be, but it's never been observed? So again, these are all deductions. So the only way we're able to tell if somebody's been exposed to TB is if they are IGRA positive. So um, IGRA is um, interferon gamma release assay. So it's a diagnostic um, test people use um, clinically. Um, and that shows you whether or not your adaptive immune response can theoretically respond to TB antigens. So um, the idea there is if you have been exposed and you've mounted not only an effective innate response, but an adaptive immune response, you have this memory of, you know, a bit like you know, any vaccine 
works on the idea that you give give um, a, a part of a, an infectious agent to, to somebody, their immune system mounts the response. And then the next time you see that infectious agent, the immune system remembers. So that's what we, we can kind of test in the, in the lab clinically is if a person who's been exposed remembers the MTB. But um, so, so that, that's one cohort of people. And, and those people can sometimes have latent TB or they can, have, they can currently have TB active disease or they might have no pathology at all. Um, but there is definitely a population there, though, that don't have that memory to TB, but have been infected and cleared it. And they're, they're very hard to study because they don't have that immune imprint. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. But what, what big question do you think you're close to answering in the next year or two? So really, um, I want to get to the bottom of the fine detail behind how this notion of innate immune training. So this idea that we can give um, someone inoculus uh, stimulus to a, a macrophage and, and how that kind of poises the macrophage to um, react in a kind of a heightened way then to a subsequent infection, like giving it MTB. Um, and I want to understand how that system, and we're working very active at the moment on it, um, impacts this idea that TH17 cells are quite plastic. So I want to see if that innate immune training can actually um, promote or block the plasticity of TH17 lineage cells. And thereby, I want to be able to deduce if there's a way that we can um, fine tune, if you like, uh, ramp up or down that alveolar macrophage or the interstitial trafficking in macrophage to actually control the adaptive response on the other side. And that's going to be important not only for infectious disease states like TB, but it's also going to be really important for autoimmune pathology like rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis, where these TH17 lineage cells are very kind of key and pathology there as well. Very good. Uh, Sherry, what's the best way for people to learn more and to look at, you know, should they go to like Trinity College? Is there, uh, should they go Absolutely. Lab should look up or how should they find you? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm um, on, on the TCD website. My name is Shari Basdeo, and I run the Human and Translational Immunology Lab um, in the Trinity Translational Medicine Institute at St. James's Hospital. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for listening. Yeah, Shari, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.